Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Two Chunks in a Hunk, a movie podcast where we give pumps and dumps. Welcome to Two Chunks and a Hunk. My name is Jordan Wonders, and this week I'm your hunk. I'm Doge, and make your life chunky. <laughs> I forgot Voldemort was in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Carter. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can chunk the world. <laughs> yes, yes they can. Don't forget that. Never. Hey, remember a second ago? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yes. Why? <laughs> Why you hunk? I am the hunk. Actually, it was Doja's idea to make me the hunk Aww. this week. Uh, That's the kind of power I wield over this podcast, That's guys. It. That's the one. Carter doesn't know this yet. So Hunks I'm, rise and fall at my command. <laughs> I'm I'm back I'm back on my, uh, like, eating healthy, losing weight grind. Nice. I'm back on it again. Yay. And uh, the other night, Doge and Jess were over to watch Bachelor in Paradise, mm-hmm. and um, I was hungry. Tell and me. so I went for my new snack that I had invented but not yet tried, Uh-oh. which was baby carrots dipped in sriracha. Pretty simple. Oh, nice. And Doge said, that sounds disgusting. And I said, I think it sounds pretty good, but I haven't tried it yet. I tried it, and it was amazing. Really good? And Oh, it's so good. It's the sweet and the spicy and the salty together. Uh-huh. Oh, it's perfect. But Doge said, how is it? I said, it's great. And he said, I know you, and I know you would say it's good even if it was terrible. <sighs> and I said, the truth of that is irrelevant. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny whether I'm that type of person. <laughs> Let's be real. He's that type of guy. Right, Carter? No, you, don't you put me in this. You know him. Like I don't I know do. anything. I pay for counseling to be less like that type of person. Thank <laughs> oh, you very much. <laughs> but I said, how about you try? And Doge, I'm going to let you take over from here. I tried it and was instantly convinced of the validity of this snack. <laughs> it's so good. It's very good. Did, this, did, did it just come to you? Well, it came to me out of necessity first because it was what like- What are the two things I have right now? Well, it was more along the lines of like, if I'm starving, mm. but because um, I'm doing a calorie counting type situation, okay. carrots are super low calorie, sriracha is zero calorie. So it was like, boom, that's a perfect combination. Let's just see if it's good because I love sriracha and I, I like- Baby carrots. What other zero calorie things can we just mix together? Yeah, basically it was just like, what's the lowest <laughs> possible? Later later that week, so last week, I went to the store and specifically to buy baby carrots and sriracha. Yeah, he sent me a picture and he said, look what you've done to me. Amazing. I have a giant bottle of Valentina sauce because that was the only size left. Yeah. I might do the same. 
Hey, side note, speaking of sauces, I'm going to go ahead and uh, evangelize for this other sauce real quick. Trader Joe's makes this sauce called Green Ooh. Dragon. Oh, they dude, sure I do. know exactly what you're oh, talking about. Oh, it's so good. It's like garlicky, spicy. Uh-huh. It's almost salsa. Yep. It's like if sriracha and salsa had a baby. It's right in the middle of those two things. Should we have a food podcast? Maybe. We have a lot of opinions about that stuff. We talk about food almost every episode. We're kind of, I mean, think of our name. We're kind of a I don't think we have podcast. to change our We're podcast. We're basically a food podcast Let's now. just add it to... Like the titles on what you mention? Yeah, <laughs> what you mention? <laughs> well, well, that's hunky. And I was munching this particular snack, baby carrots and sriracha, while we were watching something very special that we're going to talk about. Does anyone else have a problem with certain things that are meant to be consumed having "baby" in the name? Yeah, I don't love that actually. Infant carrots. Okay, baby's fine. That's worse. <laughs> yeah, infant's worse. <laughs> carrots that had a bright future until I chomped them up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You don't know that. You don't know that the future was bright for that carrot. <laughs> That's true. That carrot was going to grow up and go to jail. Good thing you ever I ate think it. it. Hold up. Do you ever think about the genocide that is the chicken and egg sandwich at Chick-fil-A? <laughs> no. Everybody, it's, it's, let's just wipe them off the face of the earth. Exactly. We're going to. <laughs> it's a whole family. We're going everybody. to cook your flesh and serve you underneath the cooked remains of your unborn young. Oh, my God. God, yeah, that's dude. brutal. It's We're about to most, have to get an explicit title most, for this one. It's honestly the most metal thing that you could do. <laughs> it's we have metal, made, that's what it is. And we have made Adam, the producer of the podcast, cough in the and background guess of the what, room. Chickens, I'm going to smash that up with little bits of bone that are coming out of my head and then use a meat tentacle to push it down my throat. <laughs> where the acid inside of me is going to reduce it to nothing and then I'm going to just drop it off like it never happened. <laughs> that's how much I care about you, chickens. That's so creative. Is anybody else real hungry now? (laughs) (laughs) So Anybody else starving? (laughs) Hey, straight up, I'm actually going to Chick-fil-A tonight for a cheat meal. Yep. Uh, Because I I got to put that new mac and cheese in my face. I've heard about it. People are getting thumbs up from Adam. Apparently it's delicious. I've heard I it's like a big I heard from other people before I heard from Chick-fil-A, which is a big deal. Really? Yeah. I had a friend, uh, Eric Niederhauser reached out to me. Uh, Maggie, who's like one of the biggest chunkies that we have, her husband was like, go get the mac and cheese. Like any group text I was in, like he was like, go get the mac and cheese. So there you go. I'm on this real like spicy kick. I mean, I'm kind of in a perpetual state of being on a spicy food kick. Same. But I, Same. they have this honey sriracha sauce at Chick-fil-A that I feel like I want to dip, dunk. What am I looking for? Dunk. Dunk. Dump. Yeah. There's the word. Dump into the mac and cheese. You could, you could straight up do Chick-fil-A mac and cheese and Wendy's spicy nuggets and get like a fast food zeitgeist do you know, type of meal. This is so perfect. So I, uh, Chelsea and I, my wife, are both about to go. She's going up to Norman, Oklahoma to see a friend of ours. And then I'm going uh, down to San Antonio to do a fantasy football draft. Anyways, we're trying to, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, clean out the fridge, eat what we can, make some kind of shepherd's pie right. of everything that's left. Yeah. Uh, so we have some mac and cheese that she made, classic craft mac and cheese. But then we have some leftover from tacos that we had made, ground green chili, onion, garlic, yes, uh, turkey, turkey yep. meat. Yes, yep. I will mix these two and then put Valentina sauce in. Now. Yes, you've, you will. you've let me know what I'm doing for lunch. Ooh. Doesn't that sound good? That sounds great. I, I'm really so hungry right now. <laughs> we are dangerously close to actually for real becoming a food podcast. I think it's because we're putting off talking about this movie just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We want the bright spot. 
to last for just a minute before we dive into <laughs> Do, this. Let's, let's tell everybody what we're reviewing. This week on Two Chunks and a Hunk, we are in fact reviewing the movie known as Dead, Dead Poets Society. Society. Guys, this was my first time watching this. Mm-hmm. You did not prepare me for this movie. That's the thing. Like, I didn't, I don't know if it was, would you have appreciated that? No, not at all. Okay. No, I would have considered it a major spoiler for and any before, sort of warning. Before we even get into the synopsis, I, I'm glad this is a part of Back to School. Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, like junior high and high school is kind of an incubator for your life spiritually, physically, mentally. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's great. And then sometimes, I mean, I think... I don't, I don't know how we would define the real world, but you hear that kind of stuff all the time. But you start to really discover that some things kind of suck around that age. Yeah, and, yeah. And you do see movies like Mean Girls, which we'll have next week, come in and say, let's just all laugh about how much it sucked. Right, because it's yeah. bad, so let's just make fun of it. But then you have a legitimate dramatization of this gets pretty deep. And it it is it can move you sure. two different directions. I did not realize how big of a whiplash we were creating with the end of the Back to School series because I had never seen this movie. I didn't know that we were creating such yeah. a like hard, yeah, like right. To I left. feel like did boom, we go boom. did we go straight from Twilight into Green Book? Because I'm trying to figure out if we've ever had this big of a whiplash. I don't know. Week to week. The, on the I mean, show this before. is barely whip. This is basically a splinter cell neck snap. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, and I don't know where else we could have put it because it feels less appropriate at the first or end. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So no, it needs to be I'm, somewhere in the middle. I'm but, happy with the placement because sure. I think after this, we're going to need the pick-me-up that is Mean Girls. Absolutely. Now, that that being said, this is my type of movie, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know we're talking about how dark this is. I figured it would be. But like, like the, the sort of bleak realness of this. I mean, you had, I mean, we've got, I know you and I, with our chooser's choice, were, I mean, I had Gladiator and Alien, mm-hmm. and you had Prisoners and Arrival. Right. Okay. Like, thank God we had someone with Spielberg to come in and just make us <laughs> right. feel like kids again. But, yeah, it just is a good movie, and sometimes good movies are the ones that seem most like reality. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're yeah. right. And it, I, I think there's the, it's the, it's a bell curve almost of yeah. like, like the most grounded movies can be so good, and then the the least connected to reality can also be very good in different ways. And I and, think that's why for School of Rock, it we we had a by the poster, all three of us, because it came in packaged as something that you felt like was not going to have much density, yes, at yeah. all. But it did, right? And it was still thoughtful, and right. so. We've we've got a lot of good teachers in this series. Uh, well, we didn't have one last. We didn't have one for Ferris, but sure. yeah. So I, I want to say as we're as we're jumping into this, the movie starts and right away, all I could think of synopsis was that Doge needs to give us a synopsis, and then I forgot how our podcast works. <laughs> well, we got derailed with mac and cheese and sriracha That's and carrots. True. Hey Doge, baby hey, food. Before I do the thing I was going to do, how about you do the thing that you're going to do with the synopsis? Yes, sir. This week's synopsis comes from IMDb user jwelch5742. A new English teacher, John Keating, is introduced to an all-boys preparatory school that is known for its ancient traditions and high standards. He uses unorthodox methods to reach out to his students, who face enormous pressures from their parents and the school. With Keating's help, students Neil Perry, Todd Anderson, and others learn to break out of their shells, pursue their dreams, and seize the day. There you go. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Uh, Carpe diem, Be Extraordinary, is considered one of the 
top lines in American cinema. Yeah. It's like top yeah. 100. It's very good. It was very powerful. Yeah, very much. Um, so what I was going to say about the beginning of this movie before yes. I so rudely was an idiot. Um, <laughs> so rude of you, dude. So rude of thinking? me to be dumb. I'm trying to interject lightheartedness into this episode wherever possible. And yep. all I could think of with the name of this school, Welton, was Chilton from Gilmore Girls. Still on my Gilmore grind. Yeah, good. And very well much private school with Chilton and Welton. Ha ha. <laughs> no, it's it's a funny one instead of a serious <laughs> one. <laughs> we did it. No, the beginning of this movie so accurate. I have a... I have a love-hate relationship with school. We were just talking about this before we yeah. started. Yeah. Um, the The beginning of this so accurately represents, for me, what going back to school was always like. Of like, I love that I get to see all my friends, but this is awful. Yeah. Like the Dude, feelings this, of this, and we're supposed to feel that way, but yeah. this school sucks. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's like bad Hogwarts. It's a, Dude, it is like bad Hogwarts. Yeah, especially there's a scene where they throw on robes and they run out to that. Yeah, yeah. And I was like. What house are they at? This yeah. is great. It's bad Hogwarts. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, private school. Uh, I would. I, I should have looked up, and I don't know if it would have been anywhere out there in research, but I wonder how many high school movies are set in a private school. There's something really unique about that experience. Yeah, yeah. A, especially a, private, a boarding school. A private boarding school. A boarding school, yeah. yeah. So like Matilda are some things that come to mind in right. terms of I can the, think of eight of them that are about wizards. Yeah, sure. at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Matilda, Harry Potter, Dead Poets Society. That's uh, it. We found them all. There's there it is. Ten. There's my boarding <laughs> favorite <laughs> school movies. So, uh, not a not a movie, but Zoe 101 was technically a boarding school. There it is. And I wanted to go to that school so bad. I remember that they had sushi for lunch. No way. At a school. No way. It's a big one. <laughs> That's my job for this episode. Is just interjecting You're the food guy. That, yeah, I'm the, the food, food guy. guy. That's my thing. So um, as we're being introduced to this school and um, people's family dynamics and sort of who they are as characters. We're introduced to Robin Williams as, is it John Keating? Yes. Yeah, yeah John Keating, who, former student, come back, taught in London. Now he's here. Dude, uh, where was this set? Delaware. Delaware. Mm-hmm. I don't think I realized that. They were going to have it set a little further south in the continental U.S., but they wanted snow. They didn't yeah. want to pay what the budget would ask for fake snow. So they right. said, let's actually go somewhere where it might actually snow. Right. So Delaware yeah. it was. You totally get the New England vibes, especially yeah. yes. with the with the transcendentalist poets that they reference so frequently. Oh, yeah. That's all that Massachusetts yep. area. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to brag. I went to Walton Pond like hey, about how a year cool. ago. Yeah, it was amazing. Very That's cool. really cool. Yep. And New Ham- who's from New Hampshire? There's someone who had a farm in New Hampshire. Ooh, my roommate, my... Best man in my wedding, Tommy Fancouch, would be so mad at me right now. <laughs> Is he listening right now, just elboing you? Probably not. I'm mad at him for not even listening to my podcast. Um, <laughs> it's not Thoreau, but it's Emerson, I think, actually really? has a oh, farm yeah. uh, in, in New Hampshire. So, yeah, New England is a big yeah. hotbed of transcendentalist poetry. That's what well, it's known it, as. A, a lot of literature when you cross in the border, general. It says it on the sign. <laughs> yeah, there's just a ton of... Authors and poets and writers that are from that area. I wonder what that is. Where are all the words that are there? Well, that's why I'm naturally occurring. Stephen King is from Maine and sets a ton of his stories up in that area of the United States. It's strange. There it is. Interesting. I think this area has a certain charm to it. I really do. I I tend to really enjoy movies that are set in the like the Northeast. Yeah, it's very. um, I don't know. It's like small town, but not small town. Does that make sense at all? 
Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's interesting for us, I think, as Americans. Yeah. Because that's about as historic as it gets it's for true. us. true. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's our rum. Isn't that weird? Right. That sound I lame. Like Boston so much. That sounds There's so, much so lame. Because yeah. I've been to Rome. And yeah, I was right. like, oh, this part of Rome is much lower below sea level than the other part of Rome because people have walked on it for 2,000 years. Oh. Right. Oh, wow. That's where the hills come from. <laughs> Chariots. Oh. So I want to, I want to, I want to talk about the boys, the, the, the core group, the yeah. Dead Poets Society. Yeah. So um, we can get to story in a little bit, but one of the things that I was so caught off guard by and that really made me love this movie is we have a movie here written and made in the late 80s, mm-hmm. set in the 50s, that's about friendship between young men that is based on like encouragement of creativity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point. I don't think that you see that a lot, especially from that era. But like yeah. there were multiple times in this movie where I was expecting it to go the way of you're getting roasted for being vulnerable about something that you're passionate about. And mm-hmm. instead it was like, yeah, dude, you go, you do the thing. Yeah. yeah. And even though Todd, which I think is Ethan Hawke's character, yes, even uh, though he's kind of the new guy in right. this, it's not really centered around his story. It's centered no. around a cohort, which that in general makes you feel like yeah. it's so this this movie's shot chronologically. Right. Uh, if y'all read that. And it's for the sake of these guys. And I think the director even had them uh living together. Uh-huh. He did to try and that. build that camaraderie. Well, and so obviously, spoilers if you haven't watched the movie, don't know why you'd be listening if you hadn't, but when after Neil dies in this movie, he did not let that actor, I can't remember his name, he did not let him come back to set. Yeah. Wow. So that the boys had to like Actually feel with, like he's yeah. gone. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah the movie so does a lot of interesting stuff though in terms of, of protagonists' relationship with the plot. Right. In that we don't really have a singular protagonist. Like The protagonist is the Dead Poets Society, I think. At first it looks like it's going to be... Uh, Todd, because he's new, and it looks like we're going to get that fish out of water story. And then it maybe looks like Neil. it's going to be Knox, and he's it's going to be oh, his yeah. story with Chris. And then maybe it looks like it's going to be Neil, but it's kind of just jumping all over the place between everybody. Can we yeah. talk about how Knox Overstreet is the biggest rich boy name I've ever oh, heard in my entire life? I was time. just about to bring up, I love names in storytelling. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Knox Overstreet, Pitts, Meeks, like these, and and Keating even brings it up. Right. How unfortunate. Come, come, yeah. come Mr. Meeks, it's time to inherit the earth. Such, yes. such a good line. line. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. So it's many great. good lines. So this won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Good. Okay. Uh, Dead cool. Poets Society was nominated for four. Okay. And it won four Best Original Screenplay. That's awesome. Which I thought was deserved. Absolutely. Sure. No, yeah, I, I so. completely agree. I think that um, there's a lot of great performances here, but I definitely think that the the story and script itself were yeah. the stars of Which, the show. Good here. job for the guy, same guy who wrote uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Well, this director... And what about Bob? <laughs> that's crazy. This director also directed The Truman Show, uh-huh. which is an all-time favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's sort of... So I want to talk a little bit about this, this movie in a broad sense very quickly. Yeah. It's so dreamy. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm getting the vibe that maybe that was just an 80s aesthetic yeah. with Ferris Bueller. And, but like... Everything about this movie was like a dreamlike state. Like there were moments that were absolutely not reality. Like people's reactions and the things they would say were not something that a real person would do, but it never stood out in a bad way. Yeah. And I think it's because this whole movie just feels like an elevated sense of reality. Like it's just a little dreamlike, a little 
fantastical. I can the, see that. The movie asks us to buy in at the same speed that the boys do to the right. idea of the point, Dead yeah. Poets Society. And so if you, that, if you don't buy in right when Keating is outside looking at the yearbook stuff, pretty trophies, immediately. If you don't immediately buy in when he says, Carpe diem, make your lives extraordinary, these guys are fertilizing daffodils right now. If you don't buy in in the same way that the boys do, the movie doesn't work at that yeah. point. Yeah. So I it just it asks a lot of the audience. Yeah. And there's just beautiful scenes too, like yes. Knox going down that hill with all the geese flying away on the bike. Okay, notebooky. I was, was going to yeah. bring that up. I loved that scene. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I was struggling with like who's who's my favorite boy in the in the group. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I love them all. Yeah, yeah. It was just, and that whole scene too was just like this romantic ignorance. Like, yes. he had never really talked to this girl. But he's going as if he's going to go see his future wife for the first time, right? But that's, well, I've felt that before. Dude, right. I think that's the crux of this movie, though, is that, that like, romanticized ignorance. The, like, of course you don't know anything. Of course you think that words can change the world. Then they're confronted with a really harsh reality. Yeah. And they have to choose. Do I believe the stuff that I believed was worth living for yeah. before I found out that life was this? Or do I change? Do I let it break me? Right. Yeah, well, and I think great. there's there's a sense of heightening with everything at that age. Yeah. But in this movie, I think it's then taken up another notch as well. Yeah. So. Well, and the Keating's approach the whole time is so thoughtful. From the very beginning, he knew. Like the preamble needs to be, I need these these young men to know they're not invincible. Right. To look at these ghosts in these cases. Here we go. And be like, what are they saying to you? Like, right. your your life is nothing right now. So, and there was the foreshadowing with Neil. They focused on Neil when he was reading about the yeah. one day, or he said one day you'll just be cold and in the ground and fertilizer, basically. Yeah. So there, There's a, a heavy, like a thick blanket of death over this movie in like a very strange way. Yeah. Um, Did you read about Robin Williams' somber mood? Yeah, yeah. It's he was going through a divorce at the time. Yeah, and so this is, and 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 I remember that from seeing the first, seeing it the first time that it was like, and he got an Oscar nomination for this, but it was just kind of like uh, he felt not off, but he didn't, he wasn't super Robin Williams, but he is Robin. I I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but to hear that that's what he was going through made a little more sense to me because I guess I was grasping for why why is it this way, right? Yeah, Yeah. and 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 I think that 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 mood was maybe to his benefit as an actor for this role. But yeah. I mean, it's it's hard when that stuff kind of crosses into your job, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't necessarily relate to that exactly, but I'm, I'm sure that that is a tough, tough, like gap to bridge. Yeah. But the, the whole start of this movie is so, it, it really is fun, which, yeah, I, I'm still, you have to remember, I just watched it for the first time, so I'm still kind of in recovery mode from this movie a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels disrespectful to call this movie fun, but it really is for no, the first is. part. No, it is. It's, it's supposed to be. Yeah. You're getting to know these kids. You're getting to watch them and what they do. It it even has some, uh, like, hey, you're the man from School of Rock vibes with, like, Dead Poet Society, changing your yeah. name, all of these different things. Um, but but I got to say, I I really just loved watching these boys like spur each other on and encourage each other. Sure. It was so wholesome to me. Sure. Yeah. I think the the very, f- one of the first classes we get, I think the first class that we get with Keating was, because um, it's hard to know exactly when some of this stuff happened outside of it being chronological, but the first class was him actually going to the trophy case. And I think the second one is when they start ripping the pages out yes, of the books. that yeah. is the second class. Um, which is great. And I, I wish I could credit Dead Poets Society and John Keating to me wanting to be a professor. That's just not how things yeah, went. But I can right. credit to me wanting to be a better 
professor, and sure. I couldn't help it. I'm not going to get super nerdy, um, but just I think just like when Doge has the knowledge about Greek mythology during Hercules, I think as a professor, like, so yeah. I'm writing, my dissertation is on the relationship between charisma and teaching effectiveness. And so uh, for the longest time, there's like these six subsets of charisma, right? It's this thing uh, of the gods, like charis meant yeah. like you inherit it, you can't learn it, but I'm trying to teach that you can. Right for the sake of, you know, retention and and better student-teacher relationships. Anyways, um, one of these six subsets has been going against the status quo. Like, that is the sign of a charismatic leader in the classroom. And it's been hard for me to define that. But seeing this scene of Keating saying, rip out the page of your textbook, that's it. This was great for me. This was honestly good for my research. I can't cite Dead Poet Society in my dissertation. <laughs> But sure. I can say, oh, this is a little bit more tangible of what it means to go against the status quo. So he is essentially gaining the love and admiration of these young boys without really having an issue. Like, it's, he's not going to lose his job for this. Right. But it is against the status quo. I mean, those pages are there and published for a reason. If they weren't supposed to be there, they wouldn't have been published. But he says, rip it out. Right. Because this is what I think poetry is. And so that was really cool for me to see. It was just kind of an aha moment for me. Yeah. Um, which is great. And I'll, I say that too, uh, to say one of the best things about Two Chunks is, and what I hope for some of the listeners is, and, and we've even seen some response to it, is like looking at this with a different lens. Like, yeah, we're movie guys. And that's the whole reason this podcast started. But when you look at it from a different lens and start to look at something like you do art and say, how does this relate to me? Yeah. You're gonna get a. It'll be. It'll make a massive impact. I promise. Yeah. Well, and I think that's sort of the lesson that he's even teaching, which is yeah. funny that that's what you're, where you're going. But like, I love the idea of. It's so funny to me the idea of let's gauge a creative act. Yeah. By math, let's take this chart, right? plot the area. That's yeah. how good of a poem this is. And I and I love that this movie starts by him saying, "You have to break those shackles. Like you have to get rid of that." Because that is not what poetry is. That's not what creativity is. Yeah. And I think that's sort of very similar to what you're saying of like, if if you are looking at everything on some sort of a scale that you've created, you could really be missing something that is going to be meaningful and yeah. like re- could change you. Yeah. I mean, not to cast our very goofy podcast in the role of the central inspirational figure of this movie, but I think that's what we try to do, right? We talk a lot about like story structure and yeah. we're like, the relationship between protagonist and antagonist is all out of whack and it just kind of falls apart because of that. But when we do that, we're essentially plotting creativity on a graph. Yeah. And right. saying it's got to check these boxes. And yeah. we, we we try, and sometimes are more successful than others, try to leave room for the magic alongside the craft, which is just the beauty of a piece versus the nuts and bolts of a piece. Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And I think there's room for both. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And this scene was such a good representation too of probably his role at, uh, Welton, for Keating, he's been given a textbook that he probably didn't have a choice. He had to inherit somebody else's textbook right. because so now he's changing it of the grip they have, you know, right. um, administratively on that kind of stuff. And then he says, "Well, this is how I'll do it." Right. So, and well, that's why they love him because we see this stuck up place, and then you throw somebody in there, which that's we didn't have that I think at Hogwarts because it's the setting of it's. Yeah, fantasy. Sure. Yeah. Some defense against the dark arts teachers were like that. I bet. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like Lupin was like that. I would say that. I like him. Lupin is probably the most John Keating professor that Hogwarts ever had. I like it. Yeah. I'm glad we made this connection. That's fair. I like that a lot. It's very good. Now, it's because of that kind of love and respect that they have for him pretty immediately that they are 
so eager to jump all over, hey, what is this Dead Poets Society? That was almost a dump for me, how easy it was to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. But then I think for me, the reason it's not a dump is you think about these these kids who've spent, I mean, what are they, seniors, juniors? They spent forever at the school and their number one, the first pillar they ever say is tradition. And so when somebody comes along who's like, hey, tradition is not that Shatter important. That. Yeah, yeah, of course they're going to respond positively. Yeah. No, yeah. And then good. you do, I mean, they do at least give us one character that doesn't feel the same. Yeah. Right. And he's kind of along for it too. Yeah. Little punk. Well, and there's something, <laughs> jerk. There's something Goonies about this yes. cave. Yeah, it really is. It's so distinctly 80s, the idea of let's all go hide in this cave yeah. and like we're only kind of doing poetry. Like I love that this club was only kind of about poetry and it was more, I think, him passing along this like you can't just be this in this mm-hmm. school. Yeah. Like go get outside of these walls and do something. Yeah. Yep. And the the more I think about it, the more I think it's perfect that we have this and then Mean Girls because yeah. you've got it centered around friend group of of young men uh, in a private school setting to where we're going to go to public school with these group of girls. Yeah, uh, and that is a blast. And then yeah, we do really uh, we kind of spread ourselves a little bit too with um, Ferris Bueller because there is that crew of like two or three. Like these are my best buds. So we're going to go on these adventures together. Um, but that's fun. I like yeah. that. Yeah, well, and I think it's it's interesting because high school movies are made, it's it's made or broken. That feels weird to change that the tense of that saying. <laughs> the, the make or break of a lot of high school movies is the friend group. Yeah, it's the people that are around your main character, and yeah. in this one, the main character is the friend group. I don't know. It's it's an interesting dynamic, I think. But we get a lot that goes on as a result of this cave, mm-hmm. rather than in the cave, right? Um, and. One of those things, if 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 we could jump around just a hair, sure. is we watch some of these characters start to change. We get to watch Knox gain some courage to go talk to Chris. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And we watch Charlie, right? We'll see the one with the saxophone. Yes. Nuanda. One of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nuanda. Yeah. We get to watch Charlie uh, get, sort of get a handle on his own... I don't know what word to call it. Rambunctious, rebellious, yeah. rebellious. He gets yeah. he gets to point his rebellious streak in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. honestly, yeah. I think for me, a metaphor that stood out was kind of like when you get your license. Like, okay, now everyone can drive. At the root of it, that's what that means, right? But some of us are going to do that to have a job. Some of us are going to do that to go fast and get yeah. like a rush from that. Right. You know, it's it's just like this was their next step in maturing, whether they decided right. to or not. You know, this is the means, but they get to choose the end. Exactly. Yeah. Right. No, it's very good. And, and we watch Todd, who's sort of our um, our surrogate for this movie. He's the new one in the new place. We get to watch him be... Ooh, he doesn't say hardly anything, does he? So mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke barely talks in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's why um, they don't call him Ethan Talk. <laughs> right. It's actually... And this will be even more weird later, I think, for me, but... It, it was, it's, so it's my super dump. Me too. Really? Okay. Ethan Hawke? Yeah. Yeah. And Which I is weird because of my super pump. I think we probably have the same super pump is my guess. Okay. Um, but we can get to that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I wanted more from him because I know what he's capable of. He felt really green. Yeah. Uh, I think this was one of his first bigger roles. Probably. Again, he's in an ensemble, so it's not the biggest role. Right. Um, but there was, I don't know. I, I think just him being naive 
in general as Ethan Hawke. Like there's certain things that they said, uh, it was either the producer or the director. Someone's Australian on this production team. Peter Weir, the director. So did you read that trivia? First. So he was like, Ethan Hawke's like, why is he talking so funny? It's like the first Australian accent he's ever heard. Right. I don't know why it's like, that's not a thing. Like that's not a box you check in adolescence. It's like, okay, go listen to an Australian. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, now you're a man. Okay. Now you know some people. Uh, talk birds like and this. bees. Yeah. These are Australians. Yeah. You know, and, and birds, so it was, bees, and Aussies. Yeah. It's just so strange. But for that too, I was like, oh, I don't know why it was just reading that trivia that I was like, he's just really naive. He's just a right baby. Now. He's, he's just a baby. A green, you know. But yeah, I was just. Oh uh, crap, guys! What's a baby hawk called? Quick, quick. Fledgling. Quick. Fledgling. Ethan Fledgling. Very good. Got him. <laughs> but yeah, I'm okay. I'm glad. I'm interested that that is also your super dump. Mm-hmm. It just struck me as odd. Well, and there's some there's a strong scene later when they're in the snow post Neil's Yeah, he's great. Death that he did great, but even still, I don't know. It just wasn't it wasn't. I think we could have done better there. I agree. So, but fortunately, y'all this entire series, I mean, we were already excited about back to school, but I think right here in the middle of it, we're like good grief. This Those is one ones. of the better like school set, like school setting series. Like this is one of the best we've ever done. Yeah, like yeah. these are good movies. These are good. Such ones. a broad spectrum. It is such a broad spectrum. I'm glad we. I'm glad we spread ourselves a little bit. Yeah. No, it's great. And uh, there's a lot to talk about in the second half of this movie. Oh yeah. But there's also a lot to talk about in the second half of this podcast, and that'll be separated <laughs> by what we're about to do. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Which is very nice. Sometimes I start a sentence. <laughs> I love it. With no idea, but then you pull it off. <laughs> it's shout announcements. Shout announcements. Ooh. The part of the show where we give shout outs and make announcements. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to start that right now. Do it. Hey, we want to give a big fat shout out to Tyler <laughs> Station because that's where we are. That's where we are. It's where we record and we love it. Thank you for letting us do it, even though you don't have much of a say. Also, we want to give a shout out to. <laughs> Is that a threat? Yeah, <laughs> what's going on? You shouldn't do that. Uh-oh. Yeah. Hey, I'll slash your tires. Tyler Stop. Station, we won't do that. No, we're very we grateful. You don't have tires. <laughs> we are very grateful. Thank you, Tyler Station. Also, we want to give a big shout out to Crumb and Kettle. Always. Drinking my second cold brew of the day. Dude, you're wild. And that's a that's a big boy. Yeah, it's a, that's a 20 16 ounce. Huh? It's a big one. It's hmm? 16. Oh, this is 12. That's a 40 yeah. ounce? It's 16. What? I'm wow, drinking dude. 90 ounces of cold brew coffee. Oh, as you, speak. you would die. It's I would a cold gulp. It's gross. Gross. It's a Route 64, whatever. <laughs> get, get your kicks. Get your kicks on Route 64. Wow. Also, <laughs> we want to give a shout out to Podbean. Yep. We pay you money. Pay, pay you put money. stuff on you. Exclusively our podcast. Podbean. Podbean.com. Well, guys, we're at 186 reviews. Woo! We are but 14 away. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Chunky's listeners, thank you so much. Uh, you continue to subscribe. We literally... We're just talking about how uh, this continues to be surreal. Um, there's a lot of people downloading our podcast, and it makes us very happy. Let me read our most recent review. Um, and this will be the first time you guys have heard it, I yeah. think. Uh-huh. It's titled, Truly Obsessed. My husband and I love this podcast. The hosts are the perfect combination of funny, intelligent, and communicative. It's the best thing to binge listen to on road trips, especially since they have multiple great series already out. The MCU and Disney ones are our faves. Some of our favorites too. It's also completely clean, which is an added bonus. Squeaky. Squeaky. Squeaky, Squeaky, you might say. don't listen to Summer of Love. I've learned (laughs) 
so much about being able to consume and critique movies just from listening to them. Wow. Now my hubby and I always do a super pump and super dump after we go to the movies. Whoa, that's awesome. I love that. This can't, is so cool. She says, can't wait to continue listening. So wow. That's so encouraging. That's awesome. Yeah, that kind of stuff is really, really fun. Yeah, I love that. So please continue to do that. We're 14 away, like from checking our last box. Now, I'll, I did not anticipate it happening this fast, but now it, it looks like all we'll have left to do is wait yeah. till we're two years old. And we're just terrible. Much like humans. Much like you, humans. That's kind of what babies do. They just wait until they're two. Oh, kind of wait. They start doing stuff. You then guys they start applying aren't even to be ready certified for critics. how terrible our twos are going to be. <laughs> oh my we're gonna, gosh. We're going to grow so many teeth. Oh, we're going to be teething. <laughs> we're going to be learning to say no. Ooh. There's going to be some potty training involved. I rut mean, it's, row, the twos row. are going to be terrible for two chunks. The yeah. terrible twos chunks. Terrible twos. We're just going to review Baby Geniuses every week. It's going to be all (laughs) toddler-themed movies. Well, it's just going to be Baby Geniuses and Look Who's Talking over and over again. And Boss Baby. And Boss Baby. Hey, Boss Baby's not bad, actually. No, this is when I say stop. I don't believe that. It's not bad. It really isn't. I have a hard time believing that. Sometimes this momentum gets going between Jordan and Doge, and I just have to stand there and be like, nope, (laughs) please stop. No more. Don't do this. I, I need a place to put my silly because it's certainly not in the meat of this <laughs> episode. This is a very serious episode. Jordan, it's funny that you say that because I have the perfect container in which you may place your silly. <gasps> Tell me. It's over here in the corner. And it's shaped like a chest in which one might put a buried treasure. Hmm. Who could have put this chest in this room? <laughs> Only the most September of historical figures. <laughs> yes. A pirate. Oh. Arg. Matey. <laughs> you better start believing in pirate series, Doge. You're, You're in one. And you, listener, What's will be called, in one, though? too. What's it called, though? Next What's month, it called, the month of September on the Christian calendar. Yeah. We yeah. are in a little bit of October. Just, yeah. a, just a because of October. That's, that's, that's a pirate thing to do. In September of 2019, coming your way, blasting high speed across the open seas, yes. a brand new Two Chunks podcast series. You're supposed to be doing it as he's doing this. Gosh. Shiver me Septembers. Oh, <laughs> it's so good to finally let the world know. Oh, we, we I planned, can't wait. We planned this at boy time, and this was a joke. We had another series planned for September. Yes, we did. And then we said, okay, we've got that idea. Now, let's set a 10-minute timer. Let's beat it. And try to beat it. We did. With we two did. minutes left on the clock, Doge slam dunked. Shiver me Septembers. Half joking. And then we said, you know what? Let's go to sleep. And if we wake up and still love the idea of Shiver me Septembers, we'll do it. Hey, and guess, guess what, what, guys? <laughs> we dreamed about pirates. That's what happened. <laughs> we loved. We're so excited to start talking about pirate movies. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you don't think that there's four pirate movies to put in a pirate series, well, first of all, what? get real. <laughs> get real because we kind of had to choose from more than four. There was at least five or six. Yeah. It was a tough decision, actually. <laughs> but we're going to have things like Muppet Treasure Island. Yes. We're going to have some <laughs> Hook. Yes. Obviously Classic. Hook. Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. The first the, one. The good one. And uh, we're going to have a fun trip. To a movie called Cutthroat Island. 
uh, which we'll get more that. on. Well, Cutthroat Island is one of the biggest flops of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and because Cutthroat Island failed so bad at being a pirate movie, they also failed so bad at being a, movie. a September pirate. And so that episode releases October 1st. Yeah, they yeah. just keep missing the mark. <laughs> uh, that's going to be, I mean, ha- I'm talking hallmark levels of bad, I think. Yeah, it was like a $100 million budget in the early 90s, late 80s. Made like 26 bucks. Made not much. Yeah. So ended some careers, I think. So stay tuned, me hearties. <laughs> uh, so I know we've been talking a lot about Whiplash. Yeah. And and it's a great movie starring J.K. Right. Simmons and Miles Teller. Shiver Me September's is going to be great, but I do want to slam the brakes. Yeah, for sure. The second half of this episode, we're going to get into the second half of the movie, Dead Poets Society, and things get heavy. Um, and we're going to talk about it as a movie, and I don't think we're going to, hopefully spend a lot of time talking about the ins and outs of some of the emotional things that are happening. But sure. it is heavy and it's kind of real. And um, I know that Doge has something that he wants to talk through a little bit before we get back in just to sort of put our flag firmly in the we're with you and we love you and care about you yeah. camp. Yeah. yeah. So as we get into the second half of this movie, the the specter of suicide does loom large over this. It's a huge plot point in this and that ultimately is a part of this story and and unfortunately became a part of Robin Williams' story. Yep. And we as two chunks, we as your friends want to tell you that doesn't have to be part of your story. Right. If you feel like that's your only way out, we promise you that it's not. Uh, if you need somebody to talk to, uh, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number is one 800 273 8255. And we're going to put that number in the show notes as well. Um, But if you hear nothing else from this episode, hear us say that doesn't have to be your story. Your story doesn't end that way. We're not naive enough to think that we're going to be the most important voice in anybody's life who's listening to this. But if you need to hear it, there's at least four people in this room that care deeply about you, whoever you Mm. are. Yeah. So I think that's why we we feel the need to say that. Yeah. So things may get silly again, things may get fun again, and we're heading back to the show. And now we're back to the show. I could tell, I could just tell by the way it felt in here that this is this is some real show energy in the studio. Yeah. This is not shout announcements it's not energy. Shout announcement. We're in the we're show We're here now. and we're doing business. Did you see my posture change? <sighs> I did. I went from shout announcements posture to show posture. <laughs> did you see me raise my arms straight in the air like yeah. it's mini Monday? Like you just, just like, 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 do I not just, care. I don't even begin to care. <laughs> put dude. your hands in the air like it's mini Monday. That's what they That's say. That's one of my favorite. I'm going to keep them up. Lines I'm for our reps. <laughs> All right. Speaking of whiplash, I have a scene I'd like to talk about. I think it's the same one. I hope we're going there. I think we definitely are. Okay. So there is a moment in this movie that resonated with me so hard and just like spoke to the creative process and spoke to the discovery of a skill set, spoke to the discovery of a passion. But more importantly than any of that to me, spoke to the power of somebody who believes in someone else. Mm. And that is the scene where Mr. Keating makes Todd Todd stand up at the front of the class. And even though he did not, write a poetry assignment, deliver a poem yeah. on the spot yeah. based yeah. on, was it uh, Walt Whitman? It was a picture yes. of Walt Whitman. Uh-huh. Uncle Walt. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Super pump. Yeah. Yep. You too? No, no, no. Oh, okay. But yes. I mean, it was powerful. Oh, it was absolutely powerful. And this was why it was hard, probably for both of us. And we have the same Super Dumb right, Super Pump weird. movie to say that Ethan Hawke might have yes. been our least favorite part because he was a part of and did so very well 
But I think it's because that same naivety that made me not attracted to him, any other part of this movie, was very appropriate for being molded by John Keating right now. Well, and there's something... So, uh, obviously, I want to let you talk about this as well since maybe we got different things. But there's, there's something in this moment that is so especially poignant because there's nothing really great about his poem. It yeah. is good. Yeah. And it it was poetic and it was from the heart, which is great. But it's not like he's revealing that he's got this like innate well, and poetry is, inside poem, of him. His poem would tank on that graph that they have to draw at the beginning. Right. But it's still a good poem. Right. Yeah. And I and I think what I like so much is my my life has been molded in so many ways by older people who have looked at me and said, fine, I'll give you some of my time and I'll Mm. give you some of my input. And this scene is what that feels like sometimes. Somebody older that's like, no, I'm not going to let you stop yourself. Go, 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 push, push. Yeah. And like in that moment, I think we're supposed to take, not that he is some like prodigy, but instead that he just found a passion. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is just, it's so powerful. Oh Absolutely. my goodness, this scene just left me rattled. Yeah. It's so revealing because he can articulate his character's inner thoughts, how he feels about being at this school where his brother was the valedictorian, like the most, the biggest dude on campus. Right. And he feels like a nobody. Yeah. Right. And when when Keating has just let Todd just kind of take it over yes. and he kind of comes down even to a knee to like just soak it in. Like one of the great things about this screenplay, which won the Oscar, was choosing, you, you could have had the character of Keating Without the background of Keating, you could have had somebody come in that had no association with this school or had not had this exact experience with the book that he used here in his, you know, his pictures in the yearbook. But the fact that he's there and he does something that I think a lot of us wish we could do more of, but it's too late to be able to like contribute back to something that made an influence on us directly. Yeah. To go back into that very setting. And be like, I know what these people are going through because I lived it. And I know what they need right and now. And I know what they need right now. Yeah. And then so yeah. just for him to have that moment. And good grief, Robin Williams was so talented. Oh, my goodness. You wouldn't be surprised to hear that he, so he he won a Best Actor, or he won, sorry, Best Supporting Actor. He's he's won an Oscar. For Good Will Hunting. Right? You wouldn't be surprised to hear that he has the same amount of Oscar wins as Leo DiCaprio. Because it's a big deal that Leo's got one. Right. He's almost got the same amount of nominations as Leo DiCaprio. And that's mm. more of a surprise. So he's had he's had three Best Actor nominations, which this was one of them, and a Supporting Actor win. So he's been nominated four times for an Oscar. And I think... I think it's hard to define him. And I think that's why he was so special because yes, he's this ridiculous stand-up comedian that kind of crossed over into this world, but he kind of made both worlds. Like the fact that you could have a conversation as to what really was he known for and you could have two polarizing sides to that, two completely different sides, blows my mind and I can't really think of anyone else. Yeah, like you that. Have, now we talked about. You have articulated it better than me. For that reason, Robin Williams is my super pump for this movie. Yeah, great. He's incredible. Like his, it's just on a completely different level. Yeah, than I think anyone else is able to do. He does what only he can do in this movie. Right. Yeah, there is something about that's so fascinating to me, and it, and it goes back into kind of the nerddom of me talking about charisma and stuff. My whole interest in charisma started with humor, because I was really interested in my grad work of like, why is humor even a I don't know. Why is it this phenomenon? Like, why Why does it mean, like, if you're funny, that can that can put you ahead of someone else politically. Like, yeah. someone, right. you might have millions of people vote for you because they you made them laugh. And this is kind of a big deal. You know, it's like, yeah. when you would see the difference between, like, uh, uh, McCain had more experience than Obama 
in a political race, right? And this this has nothing to do with political views. I usually don't even get into talks like this. This is strictly communication-wise. Yeah. Unfortunately for McCain, who's a POW, who had this tons of experience, he was kind of stiff in the way he delivered things. Right. But then you had Obama, who was charming and was making people laugh and eventually won the nomination. And so these kind of things happen all the time. And so humor, to me, was really interesting. And I think a lot of the times we see comedians that are really good at drama because they're more one and the same than we think they right, are. Right, yeah. Because yeah. comedians have this incredible lens and magnifying glass on the morbidity of the world and everything that's awful in the world. I remember when SNL decided after 9-11, we got to keep going. Right. And we've got to do something past yeah. this because these two don't juxtapose. Actually, there's so much. I think a lot of that is to credit. I'm not going to do this whole thing of like trying to dissect why Robin Williams is a good dramatic actor. But I think you can credit a lot of really knowing what life is about. To being a comedian, as ridiculous right. as that sounds, no, I right? I agree. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just blown away by the scene. Sure. And it's something that, it's one of those, there's scenes like Jack Black has in, Ro- in School of Rock that I could watch over and over and over again. And there's ones like this that are like, one's good for me emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah. This is powerful and I'm going to put it back on the shelf It's now. a vitamin versus a vaccine. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. That's such a good way to put it. But yeah, this scene is just phenomenal. Of all the time, there's just so many little things that Keating does that I love. Like the very first time we see him, he just whistles through the class. Yeah, it's like, which was great. Come on. You know, like <laughs> there's stuff I'm learning in faculty workshops. That's like, we, there was one table where students were saying what they appreciate from a professor. And Keating like has done all 10 of these things. Some wow. of it is like, change my perspective, relate to me, uh, literally have me move around. I'm tired of sitting. So he does that the first class. He does all three of these things. And it's just really good. And the fact that this was written... So I think it's the writer that had a professor that was kind of like this. Yeah, at a boarding school in Nashville. And then Robin Williams approached it as if he wanted... As if he wanted to portray the professor he always wanted to be. He wanted to have. Or he wanted to have, yes. And so it's good. There was so much thought thoughtfulness put into this role and yeah. it's it's delivered so well. Yeah. Does you have anything to add since he's your super pump? I don't. I mean, yeah. I mean I feel like I do have stuff to add, but I I mean, what else can you say really? Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Um now I know where we'll probably spend a lot of time uh for the second half, but I do want to say almost my super dump, there's some problematic uh guy girl relationship things going on in this movie. Yeah. Um particularly I mean, you can write it off as the times, but we don't want to excuse those things. Sure. Uh, you know, the the party with the the unconscious Chris on the couch and yeah. the, the forehead kiss. Now, we can always say it could have been worse because, of course, but still, not but great. But it definitely could have been not better. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. cringy a little bit. Not great. Speaking of that party and, like, seeing teens in the 50s and, like, <laughs> this movie does a bad job at being in 1959. Yeah. There is so much stuff. Like, the plastic wrap on on the the desk set that Todd gets was not invented until 1972. <laughs> Wait, really? Uh, the cadence that the drummers are playing was written in like the 60s. Uh, they're rapping. They have no context for that. It's 1959. Like there is so much of this. Oh, I think I think Ice Cube was around in 1959. <laughs> there, there is so much of that. He was still part of the Glacier at that point. But there's so oh, much of very this good. that is just not, not oh. at all in in the 50s. Uh, and that's going to be my super dumb. Yeah, like, dude, it, that's like, totally it's just like, warranted. We yeah. did not pay attention to this. Accidental. Totally warranted. Anachronistic or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I couldn't yeah. put a finger on it, but you've completely like There's some, given I mean, it's, con- it's context. Just not, it's not the 50s. And that's fine. You could tell me it is, but I know it's not. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, part of the, and the dreamlights like state of this movie, I think, but not in a good way. So <laughs> like what's, unrealistic way. What's right. interesting is that this movie was filmed and released in 1989, yep. set 30 years prior. 
So this is the uh, here for we go. those audiences. This is the equivalent of us watching a movie set in 1989. So to those audiences, this is more recent than Stranger Things is to us. Yeah. Isn't okay. that weird? <gasps> Interesting. Tough to wrap my head around that. Isn't professor. that weird? I thought about that uh, similar thing when I watched uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind recently, because that's set in the mid 70s, and they find a downed World War II plane that, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, it still works." But based on time alone, it would be crazier for us right now to find a downed plane from the 70s that still works. That's a <laughs> right. longer that, stretch of time. Yeah, right. Right. Crazy way to think of it. Yeah. That's funny. Yep. Weird. Time. Flat circle moves Keep every Keeps moving. Circle. Keeps moving. Um, yeah, there's there's stuff like that in this movie that's just yeah. like, speaking of the desk set with the plastic wrap, the plastic wrap apparently doesn't work very well because the second they throw it off the roof, everything scatters. <laughs> you got to think it was a one-take thing, right? Yeah, probably. And they might not have expected that. It's not, it's not high-velocity resistant. It just shredded the second that he let that boy fly. <laughs> It was dissolvable. It was dissolving in his hands as he was holding it. <laughs> so I, I love I love the setup that the different boys get for their different journeys in this movie, the different things that they overcome, the different lessons yeah. that they learn. And I think you can make a pretty solid argument that there's four main Yeah, I wish here. I could have seen more Pitts and Meeks. Yeah, uh, particularly okay. Pitts. I, I like him a lot. Yeah, but he we, was fun. We sort of have, we have Knox, we have uh, Charlie, we have Neil, and we have Todd. Yep. And so before we get to Neil and everything that's going on there, I'd love if we could talk about sort of where the other ones sort of go on their journeys just briefly. Yeah, just a little bit, yeah. So Knox kind of goes from, uh, I don't want to say no confidence, but just an unwillingness to step outside of his comfort zone to get the things that he wants, I think is the lesson that we're learning Sure, here. and Knox's, his seemed the more, like if we're trying to pair up a like poet to all four of these guys, he's the most Shakespearean, it feels like. Sure. Because he's, yeah. you know, fawning after the girl that he's in love with. That, yeah. Over the top and yeah. willing to do crazy things. Yep. And yeah, yep. I agree with that. Uh, Charlie is an interesting character to me. He mm-hmm. was one of my favorites in this movie. Yeah. And yeah. I thought I would hate him at the beginning. That's yeah. interesting that we set him up like he's going to be the villain of the Dead Poets Society, but then it turns out to he's be kind of the, hero the quiet bit. guy in the background the whole time. Yeah. You know, who's not buying into it. And he is, he is, Charlie is funny. He is daring and he is charismatic. Yeah. Um, and his his lesson, we kind of talked about a little bit, he learns to channel that into a healthier place, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, his joke on the phone call of, hey, it's God. He says we should have girls at <laughs> Welton. That was so funny. It's really yes. good. Yeah, it really was funny. And when you're talking about how he's realizing, how did you phrase it? Like what he's learning? He's he's. I, I feel like he's channeling his charisma and his rebellious streak into a healthier channel. Yeah, the saxophone scene is feeling more and more like a little snapshot of exactly yes. what he's doing. Yeah, Because yeah, at the end of this, he's actually playing something pretty melodious that the guys are like, oh my gosh. There seems to be it's like good. kind of these aha yeah. moments for almost all of them. And that's that's what I'm talking about. With It's this group of guys that are spurring each other on creatively. When yeah. he does that and they all sit in odd silence, yeah. they're not like... Oh, you play and and I love he kind of did it with he says, I took the thing that I had learned, clarinet, which I didn't like, and I applied it to the thing I love I love now, yeah. which is sax. Yeah. He's doing the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. In his life, which is very cool. Yeah. Then we have Todd. We actually don't get much of a journey from Todd, I don't think. No. We get new guy, discovers a passion, and then stands up for what he believes in at the end. But we don't see any evidence that he wouldn't stand up for what he believes in right, earlier. Right. That kind of plays into my my super dump with Ethan Hawke a little bit, I think. Sure, sure. I think there's almost there's almost too many kids in the Dead Poets Society to keep track of in, in this kind of way. It's really, yeah. really hard. It's really hard to manage an ensemble cast like this and give everybody their own arc their own journey to right. overcome right but we focus so much on todd that's yeah. why it feels like a, a let it does. Down to that me. feels weird yeah but those are i think those are the four main boys um and then we have neil do you guys think that we're supposed to interpret neil as like 
as like a second Keating, the second coming of Keating. Cause I, I really, I got the vibe that Keating sees a lot of himself in Neil because Neil seems to be the one that is, that is encouraging these catalytic moments for the other guys. I, I actually thought it was Charlie. Really? It feels to me like Neil's leading the charge so in those moments. He is leading the charge. But when, when, when Keating talks to Charlie in that room, I, I, I got the vibe that he was seeing a lot of himself in Charlie in that moment you know, and that he he didn't see enough of himself in, in Neil. And I felt like he kind of blamed himself for not knowing what to say. Yeah. Hmm. It could be that at least three of the four, maybe all four, are more of kind of like a horcrux of Keating. I think that's a yeah, little bit. That he's got a little bit. Because so. we do even get just a little bit that he can ref, uh, reference back to Knox's love because we just get this unnamed woman on his desk that he She's kind so of brief. looks at for yeah. a while. Just very brief there. I think she farts in her sleep. Yeah. Same wife from Google <laughs> Hunting. Yeah. Gosh. So good. Callie and I are watching that movie tonight because we're on a Robin Williams kick now. Oh, you just trying to cry? Yeah. A bunch of tears? Uh that's still my favorite one. But cool, you got Patch Adams tomorrow night. Then <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Jeez, dude, I do want to talk about Neil, and yeah. I want to give it the proper amount of time, no more, no less. Yeah, um, Neil's story. Uh, I think it's it's hairy to get into this on the podcast for me, but like I definitely resonate with um, having a hard time balancing what you care about and father's approval. Mm. There's that. Okay, so I'll yes, yeah. this is far yeah. into that no, as I'll go, sharing. but like watching that. I felt for Neil a lot of this movie, just the conversations of, but I love this thing. Yeah. But it's not my plan for you. Okay, but that's fine. But I love this thing. Yeah. yeah. But that's yeah. not the, and, and I have been in that tug of war match many times mm. with my own father. And like, I think that it was especially poignant watching him come to his breaking point And I think made me thankful that that is not a route that ever approached your mind. Yeah. Yeah. But man, it is. I have to imagine the actor that played his dad. I can't remember his name, but he's Red Foreman in that <laughs> yes, show. Yeah, uh-huh. I can't unsee that. He um, he talked in an interview. I read this on IMDb about oh, I heard about this being at the premiere and watching a father and son bickering on the way into the premiere of this movie, oh, and then man. as they left the movie, the dad was crying. Yeah. Oh man. And it's just like the these types of movies and these types of moments in movies i feel like there are there's there's a lesson in everything in the whole world sure. and you can choose from a movie like this with what's happening to neil you can choose to take what i would call the wrong lesson away yeah and that lesson is whatever you want to call you know a, an escape anything like that that is the the wrong answer i believe mm-hmm. the right lesson that i think you can take is you can look at this father son dynamic and you can say i can be better than that i yeah. can rise above that i can yeah. i can treat my children or what, whatever. And, and I think as we watch this, that is where we are supposed to go. Yeah. But I, I can, I want to be sensitive to the fact that I think it's easy to go any direction here. And so, yeah, um, it really is. And, and I mean, with something like suicide, yeah, it is, I don't know. It's black, white, gray. It's, it's all, it, that's why it's so hard. You know, we almost had to have a lot of conversation about how to even approach it. Right. Because there's some ways you could look at this and be like, oh, I, I don't know if they should have made it try and look poetic. You know, it's not kind of, but it's not the same kind of thing to where we talked about, you know, Bella Swan wanting to kill herself. Right. It's not right. romanticized in the way the Twilight it's does. definitely it. no. not inappropriate like that. Yeah, I think it is painted as a mistake. It yes. is. In this movie, which, which I applaud. Yeah. The thing that is just so like, I don't want to call it Twilight Zone because that seems to dilute it a little bit. But the fact that we have a scene where Robin Williams is mourning someone who committed suicide. I know. Yeah. I know. Breaks my heart. Yeah, that was it for me. It's 
heavy. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like the, like the, and it's not even foreshadowing. It's like this, and you felt like he felt real emotion there. I know. And it was like, wait, is this, I don't know. We're not going to like psych, psychologically try and break down his mind. Right. But well, yeah. And that's sort of what I was talking about earlier is like this heightened sense in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's hindsight, but there is, I mean, in what Neil is feeling, there is a heightened sense of sadness. And what, mm-hmm. what these, when, when Knox gets the girl, there's a heightened sense of success. When, yeah. when Charlie plays the saxophone, there is a heightened sense of excitement. I think that's what we're finding in high school movies, though. Yeah. Is that everything, I mean, and that's personal experience. Everything in high school is either a mountain or a valley and there's nothing in between. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's not to belittle the high school experience. <laughs> no, I think absolutely. if anything, it's, it's our hearts should be breaking that things feel that serious at that age. Yeah. Well, yeah. who, what is the actual name of the guy who is Cyclops in X Men? Isn't that James Marsden? Yeah, it's like before Mars. No, 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 no. The the fictional character. Oh, name. Scott Summers. Oh, Scott Summers. It's like Scott Summers before he gets the glasses that can control those lasers. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. That is what high school is. Your eyes are like closed and nothing's happening, or they're open and you're destroying everything. You're destroying everything. the world. Right. No, yeah. You know, good. it's that's it's, really good. Yeah, so much like that. Just uncontrolled. James Marston's eyes are like that too. The they real guy, James right. Marston. Yeah. Really They're are. either but, closed or piercingly blue. I, I happen to know for sure that we we have a good number of high school students that listen to this podcast. Yeah. And like like I, I I hope that they in small ways are realizing that like it's not all valleys and mountaintops and there is middle ground and things are okay and they yeah. will be okay. Things are okay in between. It's okay to be in between. Yeah, and this yeah. is an important part too. I, I was just talking to some some students at orientation and it, I mean, it's a room full of 18 and 19 year olds. Right. And it was like, I want you guys to have the perspective. You will always hear, and I definitely heard it's like college or just academics in general is this season is preparing you for the real world. Please don't be naive to the fact that right now is the real world. Right. Like what is happening right now is so pivotal to your growth in general. Yeah. And so don't, yeah, don't make it one channel. Like be open to experiences and all that kinds of stuff and getting to discover yourself. It's not so much about that diploma. And again, that doesn't sound like a thing that a professor should say too much, but it's like, it's good. Do what you're supposed to do, but I mean, this is a great place to grow. There is never another point in your life outside of like going to driver's ed that <laughs> someone has specifically put aside a season of your life to get past and then move on. Right. Once yeah. you're past school, the there's no step. more dedicated time yeah. to you figuring anything out. Right. Unless you decide to or pay for it. Right. So it is, yeah. Well, I don't want to run this into the ground for too long. I think it's important to us and that's why we 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 land here. But um after the the tragedy of Neil's death, um, Keating is blamed. Yeah, his irregular methods are blamed, and which is such a reaction to mourning. Yes, and and, and you got to find well. And I think Charlie says it. They're going to blame out. somebody. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be somebody's fault. And um, we get at the end, probably the most famous scene from this whole movie. The desk. One of the more famous scenes in American cinema. Yeah. 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 I mean, how many times have you seen this parodied? Oh, yeah. I've, I had a student that asked if I wanted to be referred to as captain. Really? And I was like, <laughs> sure. Did you cry? That's yeah, funny. a little yep. bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So they stand on the desks and they, they give him one final, oh, captain, my captain. And, and I love that it's not the whole class. It's, it's not good this that Todd's like, first. Yeah. Because yeah. Neil would have been first. Right. So, and it's not this, it's not this. High school musical, everybody does it because like 
it's only some people. Some yeah, people stay in that, their desks. And that was in some of the footnotes of the like trivia stuff is they thought at first, well, let's have them all do it. And they're like, no, it's probably more appropriate and realistic to not have everyone. Yeah, right. Just the dead poets do it. Yeah, right. And and it's, I was expecting Charlie to show up again, by the way, after he gets expelled. He does not. He's just gone. Nope. He gone. So, yeah. So a really interesting thing to me, and I'm glad that I read the, tri- I tried to read trivia either in the first 10 minutes as the movie's starting or before so that I can appreciate it as it's happening. Right. And to point that out. Interesting. Um, I'm going to after the movie guy. That's interesting. Yeah. So some of the uh, actors would refer to, or people on set, I think it was mainly this cohort of boys, would refer to this movie as One Flew Over the Robin's Nest. Did you hear about this? No. No. And how much it's like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So Jack Nicholson's character is essentially Robin Williams' character and coming into this environment that is held to these certain standards and kind of getting in trouble for making people believe wow, and yeah. like fall in love with situations and think outside of that. And it's almost to where you could carbon copy some of the characters to exactly right. what they're going through. Except this side is full of people with mental disabilities. Yeah. And then this side is just full of a bunch of High school adolescent boys, boys right. right? But yeah. it's the same kind of setting. And, and even the villain, in fact, of like the main antagonist, the way that they're handling things, and they're just villainous based off of following rules that have been put in place right. by someone long before they were and just enacting those rules and being proud of it. So I thought that was really interesting. That's super interesting. That is super interesting. super insightful yes. from these young actors. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Really is. That's awesome. They know their film history. They do. <laughs> so the ending of this movie is powerful. And I feel like the best thing we can do to sort of respect it as it is, is to move on and write this movie. Yeah. Right? Is it time for that? It is time for yes. that. Okay. Well, we here at Two Chunks and a Hunk have taken a school lesson straight out of Welton Academy. That's science. To create a scientific cinema scale. It's perfect. (laughs) And it is as follows. The best thing we could ever say about a movie is own it, don't lend it. Buy Buy that poster. poster. The next best thing, that's going to be buy it. Followed by rent it and then stream it. After that is forget it and last, but certainly least, the worst thing we could ever say. God God hath forsaken us. I'll go first. I'm going to give this movie a strong buy it. This movie was surprising. It was poignant. It was sad. It was wholesome. It was happy. Like this movie sort of brought every, a little taste of everything to the table. I laughed. I cried. It was awesome. I am a big fan of this movie and I am confidently buying it. For me, uh, it's also a buy it. I think... And this is too, and I, and I want to share like the, I, I know we always share the reasons behind it, but for me, something that this movie has pointed out is my opinion can change uh, based off of just where I am in life. And I think that's what movies are for too. Like sure. art is supposed to adapt to how you're feeling in that moment. And I think because this is so much like I am in a school setting and the majority of my conscious life mm-hmm. is at school and in this setting, this meant a lot to me. Um on many aspects, educationally uh, and with my profession um, and just kind of who I hope to be like as a person. And so, um, you know, I've talked about Robin Williams too. Chelsea let me know that he died as if it was family. Like she called me. I remember where I was standing um, and I I don't think that sounds silly. I was going to say as silly as that sounds, but it was like, it was a big impact on me. And this is, this. I, I think I'd only seen this once because sometimes these heavier movies, you know, like with, he does a lot of these Good Morning Vietnam. Like there's so many movies that he has that you just kind of have to watch, meditate, 
and just wait Move until past. it organically yeah. comes back because I'm not going to just say, ah, oh, Friday night, Dead Poets Society. Like, <laughs> right. Not going to happen, but buy it for me. Uh, this is going to be a really, really high buy it for me as well. I first watched this movie in my private school classroom shown to me by an English teacher. Wow. Uh, Karen Watkins, who had a just a huge effect on my life. Uh, That's so cool. So we watched this in class like an hour at a time for the first or second week of school. Um, and she, at the end of it, she was like, listen, guys, I know this is a movie and I know that it's like fictionalized and I know he's the most famous teacher in American cinema. So I understand that what I'm about to say is cheesy, but in my class, I want you to find your verse. I want you mm. to make your life extraordinary. I want you to carpe diem. Uh, and so this movie, probably, maybe not more than any other, but certainly in the top tier of movies that have had just a profound effect on me as a person. Mm. Uh, so high That's buy That's really it. cool. High buy it for me. Yeah. I love it. I think at first when we looked at the landscape of back to school, there might have been a fraction of a second that it felt like putting this movie in here would be inappropriate. But I think sure. after talking yeah. about it. I think it's actually important. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, so, and school's not I'm all clicks we, and sillies. I know. You know. But fortunately. Speaking of clicks and sillies, though. <laughs> next week, we're we're on the upswing of, of we our, our, our podcast is going to be clicks and sillies again. Yes, it yes. is. Yeah, next week, we're talking about Mean Girls. Oh, my goodness. Yes, sir. Oh, my goodness. It is a treat. A 100%. real treat. 100%. I can't wait. Yeah, and I'm I'm very excited about it. And yep. and since uh, the movie we talked about this week is so heavy, it would feel inappropriate to make our closing gag about this movie. So I'm going to skip ahead a week. <laughs> Go for it. To close out today's episode, I want us each to say our name and what clique we would belong to if we were in Mean Girls. <sighs> Can you give us a refresher on those cliques? Nope. Okay. I don't remember them. Great. And this is based on who we were in high school? Are now. Okay. I'm going to go with were in high school. That'll work too. For two chunks in a hunk, I'm Jordan. Wonders, that is. <laughs> and I would have been a big old nerd. I'm Doge, and in high school, I belonged to the Husky American Eagle Sneaker Cut Jeans Club. <laughs> no, you were a band geek, 100%. I was not a band geek. I played drums. They're different. In what? Oh. In the drum line. It wasn't part of the band. You're a band geek. I promise you it wasn't part That's of the exactly band. That's exactly what a band geek would say. No, oh. dude, I was a drum line boy. I'm sorry. We won state four years in a row. That's exactly what a band geek would say. I'm sorry. I qualified for state on a solo three years in a row. Whoa! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not a band geek. I'm the band the geek. Band geek. <laughs> Oh, and I'm Carter, and uh, these guys don't know this until just now, but the amount of cosmetic surgery I had <laughs> before before my 16th birthday was wild. So uh, I would have been a part of the plastic. Sure, and, yeah, uh, and and we can we can get more into that next week. But that's um, why you look so much like Ken the barber. That that is why you're realizing now none of my joints have ever moved. <laughs> Ken the Barbie. Ken the Barbie. <laughs> You know, you know Ken the Barbie from Barbie? Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. 
Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.